we here at Rocky Mountain Red-Handed want to share a stress warning with you. Our cases and stories involve mental illness, sexual assault, suicide, gun violence, and emotional trauma. Please listen with care. If you or someone you know is suffering in the U.S., please reach out to 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Hey everyone, Mel and Beck here. We just wanted to drop in and remind you to follow us on our social medias. So our Instagram and our Facebook are Rocky Mountain Red Handed and our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. Yeah, so go and check out our social medias. We always post great pics that have to do with our uh, cases, case notes, anything that we find interesting, we share with you guys. Also, Mel, what's that email address? Our email is RockyMountainRedHanded at gmail.com. Yeah, send us in your case recommendations. We want to know about local cases in your community and how they have affected your towns. So hit us up. Let us know of of the cases you want to hear in the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie, here with my dear friend Becky. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive in to Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Good morning, Becky. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. We're both a little sick today, so if our voices are scratchy or dry, forgive us. I think we sound fantastic. I think we sound sexy. There you go. That's what we're going for. This is a sexy, sexy podcast. Yes. So let's talk about greed today, Becky. Greed. One of the seven deadly sins. Yes. The definition of the word greed is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as, quote, Intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. Mel, what are you greedy with? Are you greedy with your food? I am greedy with my treats. So I will (laughs) buy treats that I want, and I don't want to share with anyone. My kids will just eat all of them, and I don't want to share with my husband. So you like smack their hand away from the plate? No, I hide my treats in different places around my house or my car. You hide treats? Yeah, you really do. Yeah, if you, I don't know if I have any right now. If you went into my closet, like I'll hide it in the back of my closet. Oh, where are my you kids? Serious? Yes. <laughs> yep. I'll share all my other food, but stay away from my treats. That is so funny. Yep. I am greedy. I would think I. I would say I should have asked my husband this before recording this, but I would say I'm most greedy with my time. I'm like an outgoing introvert. And so, like, I'm really outgoing, but I got I to gotta have my alone time. I have to have my home time. So I'm saying I'm probably most greedy with my time. Yeah, I can see that about you. Mm-hmm. You love being around people, but you also, you like to be home. I like to do my thing. Yeah, yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, our story today is uh, centered around greed. Gunnison is a lovely town in Colorado that is home to a mix of people, Old West ranchers, hippies on a spiritual journey artists and rednecks with dirt under their nails. Nestled in a valley at the base of the Rockies, Gunnison, with just 6,500 residents, offers a wide draw of activities, hiking, biking, adventure-seeking people, and those who want to be around the healing nature of beauty. Just outside of city limits of Gunnison is the home of our store today. It's the 7-Eleven Ranch. It's a beautiful setting for a mysterious story. This is the story of Jake Millison. The 7-Eleven Ranch was a 700-acre ranch nestled in the Rockies of Colorado. The owner of the ranch was Mario Rudy Rudabaugh. Rudy was known for being one short but one very tough old cowboy. Tough as nails, as some would say, he was a widower with one grown son living in Texas. The 7-Eleven was an outfitter and dude ranch with a great reputation for giving their customers the true cowboy experience. The outfitting operation would take the hunting customers into the back country and hunt for wild game. Mel, do you know like about the outfitting industry? Um, not the outfitting industry. I've heard a lot about like uh, dude ranches and going. That would be so fun. It would be really I fun would love to, to take to do your it. kids. Yeah, make it go shovel manure. They would love us forever. 
No, outfitting is actually a really big industry. I have a friend that her husband is an outfitter and he's like a real cowboy and he takes them way out and these, these rich dudes from all over the world will come and just want that whole cowboy experience. It's actually a really, really big, financially profitable industry. Oh, I'm sure, that's awesome. Um, so it is a very profitable business. Rudy had a large lodge built on the ranch along with several cabins for his guests to use to relax after cowboying all day. Rudy employed a small group of locals to keep the ranch running smooth. One day, a woman by the name of Deborah Millison started working for him. She had always had a dream of living the ranch life and she loved horses. She worked really hard and completed each task to perfection. Deborah was married to a man named Ray and they had just moved out to Colorado from Illinois. Both were looking for a fresh outlook and wanted to give the West a try as their home. They had two children, Stephanie, and just over a year later, they had Jake. So Rudy was 70 years old and really started to slow down and needing more help around the ranch. Deborah stepped up and began to take more and more responsibilities. She managed the ranch in every aspect along with the outfitting and dude ranch businesses. In 1993, Deborah had had enough of her rocky marriage with Ray, uh, who was Stephanie and Jake's father. She divorced her husband and quickly announced a relationship with the much older Rudy. He was over 20 years older than Deborah. After Rudy and Deborah married, Jake, who was six, and Stephanie, who was seven, moved to their new stepfather's ranch, the 7-Eleven. Uh, both the children loved helping with the family business as much as they could for their age. They loved the ranching life and the 7-Eleven instantly felt like home. The family was really happy. They enjoyed their little bubble at the ranch, away from the outside world. Deborah homeschooled the kids so they could have all the time they needed to work the ranch. Jake was a very responsible and hardworking little cowboy. He had his own chores from a very young age and completed them without nagging from his parents each day. He looked up to the men around the ranch and wanted to grow up to be a real proper Colorado cowboy. That's awesome. That's yeah. so cute. Mm -hmm. He would throw hay, feed the animals, brand cattle, fix tractors, tend to the fences, and everything he possibly could. He wanted to learn all aspects of the ranch life. It's a hard life. Like it's it's like a day in day out, no days off, up at dawn. Like it's a really hard life. So what a good little kid. That's so cute for a six year old to be mm -hmm. so excited about it. So Stephanie, Jake's older sister, they were just about a year apart. She worked on the ranch as well. She was handy and confident with the horse and helped with the outfit outfitting. Pardon me. Stephanie would take long rides into the backcountry, assisting the outfitting by helping pack up the gear in and out of the wilderness. Stephanie was just 18 years old when she met David Jackson, a 19-year-old traveling carnival worker. David and Stephanie had an immediate bond, and when the carnival packed up the tent three days after they met, the carnival went on without David. So he stayed behind to be with Stephanie. I'm sorry. I know this is a serious story, but what a great story. I wish I would have met my husband <laughs> if he was a traveling carnival worker. That is a great story to your yeah, relationship. Yeah, that is an amazing story how they met. <laughs> he gave up the carnival life for me. <laughs> um, though he was known for being a little bit odd and quirky, the couple was devoted to each other. And after just a few months of dating, they married in 2003. Uh, Stephanie's family supported their couple and they were excited for their new life together. In fact, Rudy, Stephanie's stepdad, gave her a portion of his inheritance, $80,000, towards a home in Denver, about two, uh, sorry, 200 miles from Gunnison. Now with Stephanie moving away from home and building her own life, Jake stepped up and dedicated even more time to sustaining the 7-Eleven Ranch. Jake had always felt strong ties to the ranch and it was front and center to his hopeful future. Jake and Shane, Rudy's son from his previous marriage, um, he's the one that lives in Texas, remember? Uh, they had always uh, assumed and the family spoke that they would inherit the 7-Eleven Ranch. So the brother and the stepbrother, the two brothers would be, would be the new owners of the ranch. Jake was carrying the full burden of the ranch maintenance and did not receive a dime for the work. Yet he never complained. It was part of his inheritance and the ranch life was in his blood. So I think we need to remember here, this is a 700-acre ranch and the outfit outfitting business and the uh, dude ranch. 
So it's like three full-blown businesses. Just maintaining the 700-acre ranch would be a full-time job. Yeah, that's crazy. There's a lot that goes into that. Yeah, so with that said, Jake never sat idle. So because he was not making any money, remember he wasn't taking a paycheck from the ranch, he found little jobs to make a few bucks here and there. He cut firewood and sold the cords of wood. He worked part-time for a local landscaping company. And he looked into possibly starting a chimney sweeping business. So yeah, he is a busy boy. Yeah, that is very busy. So this is a pretty funny story about him. He actually decided that he would start to grow a small amount of marijuana and psychedelic mushrooms on the ranch to sell to local college kids. What an entrepreneur. I know, any way to make money, right? <laughs> Um, his friends really razzed him about this and gave him a hard time because he had never had or used any kind of drugs. Um, they asked him how he would test his product, which is pretty funny. I can imagine boys teased him about mm -hmm. that. Uh, how he, how would he know if it was any good without trying it himself? Jake just laughed. He would not be trying any of it himself. He did not do drugs. That is so funny. So one summer he traveled to Alaska to work on a fishing boat for the summer that is the hardest job. I've had a couple friends do that and they said it was a nightmare. That would be really hard. So he worked harder than he had ever worked before, but he was so excited when he brought home a huge paycheck for the backbreaking months of dangerous work that he did in Alaska. Deborah, his mom, complained about his absence and said she needed money for the ranch. So he's a he's a good son. He handed her a check for $15,000 to help out the family. Wow, that's awesome. Around 2009, Rudy started to really wrestle with his daily routine. He'd usually met every day head on and he was starting to really struggle with this. Rudy had served in World War II as a famous frogman. Have you heard about frogmans? This is pretty cool. These soldiers were known to creep underneath the surface in the shallow water, breathing through a straw to spy on the enemy soldiers. That's that amazing. Crazy? The name of the game was reconnaissance. Their work was really important. It helped keep our soldiers alive so that they knew exactly where the enemy was. That's that so interesting? cool. Yeah. Decades later, Rudy was suffering. His life slowed down steadily. And on November 16th, 2009, at 85 years old, Rudy passed away. His life's work, his beloved 7-Eleven ranch, was left to Deborah, his wife. Deborah really suffered with her husband's passing. So Deborah fell into a depression and tried to move on. She wanted to maintain and even grow the success of the 7-Eleven Ranch. With Stephanie in Denver, that just left Jake and Deborah to maintain the massive 700-acre ranch and the businesses. Jake and Stephanie mourned the loss of their stepdad. He had been a good father and the family struggled to cope with his death. Jake had not only lost his father, but his best friend. They had worked side by side for most of Jake's life. In 2012, Stephanie announced that her family, husband David and their young son, wanted to move home to the 7-Eleven Ranch. Stephanie had loved her childhood in the small town of Gunnison and she wanted to give her son that same childhood. The family moved into an apartment in town and David found a good living working in mechanic shops while Stephanie helped out at the ranch. As adults, the brother and sister, Jake and Stephanie, had grown apart. The siblings seemed to bicker and argue whenever they were around each other. So maybe this move would maybe help the family grow a little closer together. Three years later, life was moving along in the small town of Gunnison. On May 15th, 2015, Jake went out with a few friends for the evening. His normal routine each day was to wake up, work hard all day at his numerous responsibilities, head to the gym in the evening. He really liked to do MMA training. And then his nightly routine of hitting the local bar, which was called the Alamo. There he would see his closest friends, shoot some pool, and have a few laughs. Jake wasn't one for a shot or even a beer. His drink of choice? A Coke. A Diet Coke. <laughs> then he headed home again to prepare for another day working the ranch. Jake was involved with the MMA and fitness subculture. It consisted of a very tight group of friends that spent long hours training hard together. He had a passion for the sport and valued his friends he trained with throughout the week. He worked very hard on his skills. So great. So Jake was a creature of habit. He liked his routine, which I totally relate to. I'm such a routine person. So he found comfort in it. That evening, the friends had all made plans for the following day, but the next day, Jake never called. 
to join his friends. Just no answer, no text. And Jake was the type of man that if he said he was going to be somewhere, he was going to be there. He kept his word. He valued his friendships and he wouldn't want to miss out on any party. If he couldn't make it, he would call and let someone know. So this was out of character for him. Five days later, on Wednesday, May 20th, 2015, Randy Martinez and Nate Lopez went looking for their buddy. They hadn't heard from Jake in a few days, and that was just plain weird. It was not Jake. Jake always stayed in touch with his friends. Randy and Nate drove out to the ranch and found Deborah and Stephanie working in the corral. On the, ra on the ranch, they saw Jake's truck, his motorcycles, and his dog, Elmo. So these two friends greeted the women and asked about Jake, asked if they had seen him or heard from him in the last five days. Jake was the type of man that interacted and talked to his friends every day. It wasn't uncommon for Jake to text or call several times a day. Yeah, Jake had his close friends and he chose to share his life every day with them. So this was not normal behavior. Deborah and Stephanie told the friends that Jake had driven to Reno, Nevada to participate in an MMA tournament and spend some time in Reno training. So this didn't sound quite right to the friends. Reno is over 900 miles away. Um, you've got to drive out of Colorado, across the entire state of Utah, and again, across the entire state of Nevada. Reno is just minutes from the California border. So this is not a trip that someone would normally take at the spur of the moment, especially not someone like Jake and without telling his friends where he was going. Yeah. Deborah told Randy Martinez and Jake Lopez that Jake didn't know when he would be returning. All of his plans were just very much up in the air. Uh, Deborah reassured his friends that all was okay. He was just simply out of town and she would let them know when he returned. Um, she seemed really short with her answers. Um, her answers to the questions also seemed like they were memorized. Walking away from the ranch, Jake's friends wondered if they were paranoid or did Deborah seem a little irritated with their concerns? The friends didn't feel like this type of behavior was just not Jake. After leaving the ranch, the two men asked other friends around town. They went to his gym and other hangouts and talked to many different friends. You know, everyone has kind of different friend groups. No one had talked to Jake about leaving town, leaving town, let alone across like multiple states across 900 miles. It's awesome that his friends are keep pushing and keep asking questions after his family's like, oh, he's fine. It's awesome that they keep keep digging into it. Yeah. In addition, his MMA partners had not heard of any type of training or tournament in Reno. Jake had also just been injured that week. Um, he'd injured his ankle and was forced to use crutches to get around. With an injury, Jake wouldn't have been able to drive the long distance, let alone compete and participate at the training or tournament. So this now seems very strange. This is like officially fishy. This is not sounding right. So later that day, on May 20th, Nate Lopez and Randy Martinez sat down with Deputy Mark Michael at the Gunnison County Police. They reported Jake as a missing person. It was odd that Jake's friends were the people to report Jake's disappearance and not the family. I mean, that's, that has to happen very, very rarely. I would think that family would be the most concerned, but not in this case. Yeah, definitely. So let's go ahead and take our first break, Mel, okay? Sounds good. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's Balance of Nature, promo code REDHANDED. A big thank you to our sponsors. Um, so back to our story. Detectives knew the first thing they needed to do was to talk to Jake's mom, Deborah. They drove out to the ranch and met with her. She seemed unconcerned, and she reported that she couldn't remember the exact time when she had last seen Jake. But she did tell police the same story, that he was in Reno at a training and tournament for his MMA work. The police asked further questions, and like, why could no one reach Jake on his cell phone? Deborah said that Jake had been working the ranch and had dropped his cell phone in a ditch of water. So in fact, Deborah had the phone in a Ziploc 
of rice. You know how you dry your phone out? I have done that so many times. Oh, more than I should admit, yes. Do you know how many times my phone's fallen in the pool? <sighs> A lot. So anyway, so she actually showed the police that um, his phone was in the rice and was trying to, to dry it out to get it to work again. So that's really interesting to say he drove over 900 miles and just left his cell phone at Without home. Without a cell phone. That's yeah. interesting. If that happened and you needed to make an emergency trip, I'd even go get a burner. Like, why would you go on that trip without a phone? Yeah. She also reported to the police that this type of behavior was very typical of Jake. Um, he was known to drop everything and go on trips away from the ranch. Deborah hinted that Jake could be impulsive and was filled with wonderlust, which is the opposite of what his friends are saying. Well, and the opposite of his history. Yeah. You know, so after visiting with Jake's family, law enforcement believed that, you know, he must be okay. Besides, the 20-year-old man can leave when he wants to. He has the freedom to go where he would please. Um, Deputy Michael marked Jake's case status as, quote, unfounded. Which essentially means, like, nothing to see here. So I can understand from law enforcement's point of view, his family's like, no, he's fine, he's just out of town. You know, so I, I can understand why law enforcement accepted those those excuses from his family, those, those answers. Oh, definitely. Um, after several weeks, Dev Deputy Michael checked in again, and the attitude of his absence was changing. Jake's family were starting to show some concern, despite what they had initially, initially reported. Several other friends had made an official complaint of his disappearance to the county sheriff. So in August, after several months of Jake being away from home, Deborah finally believed that something must have happened after a few months. It's about time. She made her way to the county sheriff's office and filed a missing persons report. That's a long time to go before you report someone missing. But again, he's 29 years old. He can yeah, do what true. he wants. That's so Deborah met with the police several times and shared what information she had about Jake's life. As Jake got more involved with the MMA crowd, Deborah felt that he had changed a lot. Jake had grown lazy and was not completing his jobs or responsibilities on the ranch. This was detrimental to the success of the 7-Eleven and the business was suffering because of it. Jake was staying out all night, partying with friends. Deborah reported that Jake had even gotten involved with drug use and possibly dealing drugs. She told the police that she was shocked when she came across a marijuana grow operation on their beloved family ranch. Deborah shared with the police that on May 24th, right before he had left town, Jake and Deborah got into a heated argument about his behavior. She didn't like or approve of the poor decisions that she felt like Jake was making in his life. Deborah said if he was going to go and live his life like that in this, you know, corrupt way, then he needed to get out of the house. He needed to go, to go find work off of the ranch and grow up. He was going to be 30 soon. It was time for him to a little bit of like, you know, tough love. Time for him to grow up. Definitely. The ranch wasn't succeeding with Jake not performing his work. There's so much work in this type of business. And if someone's not pulling their weight, it's going to, it's really going to suffer. Um, Deborah felt that maybe a dose of tough love was really what Jake needed. She said that Jake was in a fit of rage and left for the MMA tournament in Reno. So that would kind of make more sense for him to just kind of give up and, and run away from home. I can see how that would happen. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I agree. So sitting down with the detectives, Deborah finally shared something that she had kept private from the police until now. Jake returned with a friend to the 7-Eleven on May 31st, just a week after he initially left the ranch. This friend, um, either Mike or Matt, she couldn't quite remember what his name was, was not a local boy. He was a friend that Jake had apparently met out of town and Deborah didn't know anything about him. Jake and his friend uh, gathered up a lot of camping equipment, a gun, and a bunch of cash as if they were planning on being away for a very long time and left without a word. It's interesting that she kept this out of the story the first time to the police. Yeah, I would agree. The two men didn't tell Deborah where they were off to and she didn't have any idea where they were. She made guesses of his whereabouts. She said, you know, maybe he was in Nevada looking for work. He was possibly could be in California to party with friends. Or he may have even gone down to New Mexico to be with his father. Deborah said she had just grown so exhausted of trying to keep tabs on her, you know, 29-year-old son. It was just too much, and she just kind of washed her hands in the situation. 
After three months, Deborah said that she was scared that Jake had gotten himself into a mess with the wrong type of people. The Gunnison County Police put out an APB nationwide for any information or the location of where Jake Millison could be, including credit card activity or the use of his driver's license or social security number. With the little information the police had, this was all they really could do for the time for Jake. They waited for any information. Months passed by with no news, no sightings. Jake could be out there somewhere in the world, you know, building a new life for himself. They had no clue. There was a good chance things were better for him out in, you know, in the world rather than working endlessly at, at, the, at a ranch who you know, seen, the ranch seen better days. Yeah. Journalist Chris Rourke with the Gunnison County Times had an article published about Jake's disappearance on October 15th, 2015. She shared both sides of Jake's case, the friend's concerns and his mother's story of Jake's drug use and spending time with the wrong people. Deborah shared that Jake could be volatile and had a dark side to his personality. So after reading Chris Rourke's article, Jake's friends gathered and went down to the Gunnison County Police. They were very upset and insisted that Jake was not a drug user. He took excellent care of his health and his body. And this is funny, his friends would stop by Taco Bell and get food and he would never eat fast food and he would lecture his friends about how bad the food was for them. I love Taco Bell. Really? I do not eat Taco Bell. Like, give, me, like, give me like a good like in and out cheeseburger and I am down for sure. Oh, the chips and cheese at Taco Bell? No, so good. Several months earlier, Jake's friends had created a Facebook page for information about Jake's disappearance. Many friends and locals would share ideas or leads to help find Jake. The Facebook page started to get some very concerning information regarding Jake's brother-in-law, David Jackson. So just a few weeks after his disappearance, David Jackson posted a picture on his Facebook page of him with Jake's beloved Harley Davidson Sportster motorcycles. Now, Jake's friends knew that this was a huge red flag. Jake never let anyone, not even his closest friends, near his Harley, let alone his brother-in-law, who he was known to like kind of butt heads with. So this was not, not kosher. The friends took this as an indicator that Jake was not coming home. Also, Jake's friends started seeing Jake's belongings pop up for sale all over the valley. They spotted two of Jake's motorcycles for sale at a local shop. So the friends went down to the shop and asked the owner if they could look at the title and saw two signatures on the title for the motorcycles. One was Deborah's signature and the other's Jake. Yet, the signature was not Jake's signature. The, the two signatures were in the exact same handwriting. So at this point, it's almost like anyone who cared to follow the clues and who really knew Jake, something was not right. It seemed like he was not coming home. Family relations had grown quite tense in the last few years. According to what Jake's friends shared with the police, David and Stephanie Jackson, Jake's sister and brother-in-law, returned to town in 2012, and it wasn't such a great turn for Jake. Jake was working the ranch practically by himself, and Deborah had announced to the family that her grandson, David, and Stephanie's child, not Jake, would inherit the ranch with all 700 acres. And after working it for so long without getting paid, that is just crushing for him, I'm sure. And he had been, like, so faithful to the ranch. Like, it sounds like he sacrificed. Yeah, a lot. A lot for the ranch. Yeah. The return, there had been continually arguing between David, Stephanie, and Jake. Jake felt like David was not doing his fair share of work around the ranch. And David was acting as if he was already in charge and wanted to do things his way. It was not a pleasant time on the 7-Eleven ranch. That winter, things got out of control. Buried under feet of snow, Jake was out plowing the roads and access points all over the ranch. So whether intentionally or unintentionally, Jake blocked in David's vehicle with the snowdrifts and David became irate. David pulled out a gun in his rage and threatened Jake. Jake walked away and did not engage in any like further arguments or anything with his out of control brother-in-law. So in instead at this point, he decided to go to the Gunnison County Police and he filed a restraining order against David. Um, Jake knew he was in danger and concerned about what David would do to him. In fact, he told his friends that if anything happened to him, 
that it would be his brother-in-law, David. I feel like we hear this in stories where they're like, if something happens to me, look at this person and then something happens. Yeah. So let's just make that out there is if you're afraid someone's going to kill you, let people know. Definitely. <laughs> yes. So Deborah and Stephanie were angry that Jake had gone to the police. The restraining order essentially blocked David from spending any time at the ranch. So after a few days, Jake withdrew the order, but the damage was already done. He sounds like he made a sacrifice for his family trying to keep the peace. Definitely. The two men had so much tension between one another that Deborah forbade the men from being at the ranch at the same time. They were reaching a boiling point at the 7-Eleven. A year went by after his disappearance and there was still no sign of Jake. Police had no direct evidence of any crime, um, you know, but times were difficult at the 7-Eleven ranch as well. So David texted a friend um, that with Jake's disappearance, all of the work fell on him and he just couldn't keep, couldn't keep up. He... So David texted a friend um, that with Jake's disappearance, all of the work fell on him and he was getting tired of it. So he texted his friend and Mel, I'm going to take out the profanity, but there, there was some profanity in the text, but he said, I'm sick of being a slave for Steph and her mother on this ranch while she is in the lodge, warm, cozy around on her phone. David was at the end of his rope that winter and threatened to leave Stephanie. Stephanie reacted by pulling out a gun and firing a bullet into the floor. What is with these two pulling guns on other people? Um, all was not paradise as they had planned. They were hoping to come out here and just have a good life. And now they're pulling guns on everybody. In April of 2016, Jeremy McDonald, a friend of David's, moved to the ranch and took a position as a ranch hand. A ranch hand is someone who just kind of does all the work. You know, whatever needs to be done, they do it. They had been friends since childhood, and Jeremy took the job offer after David reached out to him. Jeremy was a hard worker, and he was excited with the possibility of really making a difference at the ranch. David and Stephanie were in the process of fully taking over 7-Eleven. Just a few months earlier, Deborah was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. She knew her days were numbered, and she wanted Stephanie to be ready to be the caretaker of her beloved ranch. The police knew that with Deborah's medical diagnosis, the clock was ticking to find out what really happened to Jake. They didn't know uh, to what extent, but they knew that Deborah had to know more than what she was sharing with the police. The investigators' backs were against the wall, and it was time to discover the truth. The heat was the heat was on. Definitely. If she passes away, they might never get all the information. Um, if the family was involved, who had committed the murder? There seemed to be multiple motives in this story. Stephanie and Jake had never gotten along. Did the fight just, you know, get out of hand? Who knows? Yeah, David and Jake had almost come to a gun showdown in the past. Maybe that had happened again. David seems to have a really quick temper. Mm-hmm. And David and Stephanie's son had been Deborah's choice to inherit the ranch. Did the boy's parents act to protect their son's birthright? Um, Deborah had made a lifetime habit of pushing Jake around. Maybe she had gone too far. We've got a lot of different possibilities here. A search warrant was created on July 17, 2017, over two years after Jake was last seen. Local and state police descended on the ranch to look for any trace of Jake Millison. The Colorado Bureau of Investigation spoke with Deborah and explained the details of the warrant. Deborah at first claimed to not know anything of his disappearance. She was then told that the search warrant included a search with the highly trained police dogs. Once she heard of the dog's participation, Deborah finally confessed. Deborah had killed her son. The months prior to Jake's disappearance were filled with brutal fights between mother and son. Jake felt that after years and years of hard work and complete dedication, he had earned the inheritance of the ranch, which I will agree with. I, I agree too. He'd worked for no money. He had earned it, I think. He argued that he had more claim to the ranch because Rudy had already given David and Stephanie $80,000 for their house in Denver. By May of 2015, the family fights hit a high point. Deborah told the police that Jake had barged into her bedroom late at night and threatened her. She said that she had come to the conclusion that night that it must be either Jake or herself. They couldn't both survive this turmoil anymore. Deborah waited till Jake fell asleep 
crept upstairs and into Jake's loft room. There she saw her only son sleeping peacefully, completely vulnerable in bed. Jake was laying in the field position. She pointed the gun at her sleeping child and shot him in the head. After he was dead, she started to compile a plan to dispose of his body, which I will say this was thought out and planned. It's not like they got into an argument. It was an act like it was thought out and she had planned to do this. I just can't imagine as a mom doing that. This is the definition of like first degree murder. Yes. Yeah. He's sleeping. Anyway, so she brought visqueen, which I don't know if you know what visqueen is, Mel. It's like a really heavy plastic. A lot of construction workers, or I could see them using it on the ranch. She brought up a big roll of visqueen, it's a heavy plastic, up to the loft and laid it out in Jake's bedroom. She then rolled Jake off of the bed and wrapped him up tightly with the plastic and a rope. Deborah then used an ATV and a winch to drag her son's body from his bedroom down the hall, down the staircase, and out the front door. She then drove the ATV with her son's dead body dragging behind it over to the massive manure pile in the corral. Deborah buried her son in the manure. She simply pointed towards the corral with the police and she said, quote, that is where you will find Jake. Jake's body was found under six feet of manure. He was wrapped in plastic just like his mother had left him. In Colorado, they have a very specific law regarding the guarantee of a speedy trial. So law enforcement decided it was more beneficial to the case to not arrest Deborah right away. They knew she was not of high flight risk. Um, you know, she's an older woman. She has cancer. They decided it would be better for the investigation to wait to take her into custody because of that speedy trial law. There were still so many unanswered questions. Was anyone else involved? Did Deborah commit this murder by herself? Did anyone else help her cover up the crime? And where was the murder weapon? Yeah, so Deborah claimed that she threw the murder weapon into a nearby lake, but a 357 Magnum was found under her bed. Many aspects of her statement just were not quite adding up, and law enforcement knew that they had a lot of work in front of them to figure out what happened exactly to Jake and to give Jake the justice he deserved. Deborah claimed that she had disposed of Jake's body by herself. Jake was a 190-pound grown man in an upstairs loft of the lodge. Deborah was an aging 90-pound woman. She had just had gallbladder surgery nine days prior to Jake's murder, and she was still recovering. Police believed that there was no possible way that Deborah had moved Jake's body off of the bed and onto the floor alone. Okay, side note here. Mel, have you ever tried to move an adult? that has passed out, who's unconscious. Um, yes, I actually worked at a an elderly home and I had to help move a dead body. So I- I did not know this about there you. There you go, yeah. It's really, really, really hard. It is, and he was not, the man that I had to help move was not big. He was not very big and he was heavy. So the, the phrase dead weight, it is completely different than picking up you know, a heavy package or moving a box or whatever. Um, I've moved, I've moved, never moved a dead body before, I'm happy to say, but I have moved people who've been passed out. And the thing about bodies that is hard is that the weight is like, for lack of a better term, it, the weight flops around. It's not a solid, um, a solid anything to move. So to move a body, it is so much harder than you think it's going to be. I don't understand how a 90-pound woman could move a 190-pound woman, a, a man, I'm sorry. Yeah. Even if it's just a small amount of, of movement, it's just, I don't know. I don't see how that can be. I agree. Yeah. The investigators turned to David and Stephanie Jackson. They separated the couple and interviewed them. David said he was shocked and couldn't believe that Deborah would do such a thing. He was baffled that Jake had been on the ranch the entire time dead. He, of course, denied any type of participation or knowledge of the crime that his mother-in-law had committed. David said he had been in Denver the evening that David went missing from the ranch. The police pressed David regarding the restraining order that Jake had filed against him. David said the whole thing was just a huge misunderstanding. He said he did not pull the gun on Jake and that it was simply just wearing a gun um, in the holster on his hip. So um, he said he never meant to threaten Jake. It's just, 
you know, I know a lot of cowboys do carry a gun on their hip, so I don't know who to believe there, but I can see how it could have still been threatening to Jake without David actually pulling the weapon out. The investigators met separately with Stephanie and shared the news that her mother, Deborah, had killed her brother. Stephanie began crying and was very upset by this news. She claimed that she would never want Jake to be hurt. Stephanie then asked, without knowing any of the details of the murder, how her mother had gotten Jake out of the house. No one had told her where Jake had been killed. So how did she know that she that Deborah had to move Jake out of the house? Uh, whoops, Stephanie. I think that she kind of just gave herself away right there. With that slip of information, the investigators knew for sure that Stephanie knew more than she had let on. So subpoenas were then issued for David and Stephanie's cell phone and social media records. The investigators confirmed that David was in Denver like he had claimed. Stephanie's movements were much harder to track. The 7-Eleven Ranch does not have cell phone coverage, so the police were unable to ping her phone use. I love when I don't have cell phone coverage. Me too. It's my favorite. So the investigators did find something very interesting on Stephanie's social media on May 19th. 2015, just mere hours after her brother had been murdered, Stephanie posted the following sentence. Quote, have you ever been woken up with such awesome news that you wanted to run outside screaming? What a weird thing to post. And looking back on it, how creepy is that? So creepy. Yeah. So we're going to take one last break to hear a word from our sponsors. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's Balance of Nature, promo code REDHANDED. Thanks to our sponsors. So let's just recap on our creepy statements. Stephanie just posted, quote, have you ever been woken up with such awesome news that you wanted to run outside screaming, end quote. It sure seems that Stephanie knew what had happened the night before and her life had just become a lot less complicated. The search of the lodge also turned up a copy of Deborah Rudabaugh's will dated just weeks before Jake's murder. Deborah had updated her will to leave the entire 7-Eleven ranch to her daughter, Stephanie Jackson. Jake was to inherit nothing. This poor guy. I know. In fact, Stephanie had the audacity to post a picture of the will on her social media. She had bragged that she was the sole heir to her family's branch. So sad. With Jake's body located, the medical examiner was able to perform an autopsy. The detectives who were so invested in this murder case looked forward to any evidence that Jake's remains would give them for the investigation. The autopsy showed that Jake had been shot in the head while laying in his bed. I'm sure they could probably tell that from the angle, I would assume. The bullet remained lodged in his brain and had not exited the back of his head. So a ballistic test was performed on the bullet from Jake's head, and it was a perfect match to the 357 Magnum, which was found under Deborah's mattress. In July of 2017, David and Stephanie Jackson agreed to take a polygraph test. They both failed the polygraph test with flying colors. David finally admitted to police that he knew that Jake was dead. He and his friend, Jeremy McDonald, had been working in the corral one day. David had been operating a skid loader, moving manure, and he unearthed a surprise. David, Stephanie, and Jeremy plainly saw Jake's upper body wrapped in plastic. Stephanie went into full panic mode, screaming to her husband to cover it up. She told the two men that she was going to go in the house and call her mom. Jeremy recalls that about 10 minutes later, Stephanie came out of the lodge like she didn't have a care in the world. She told the men that it was okay and they just needed to rebury it. She said that her mother told her that it was illegal wild game that Jake had hunted and they needed to hide it. So David admitted that he was pretty sure that it was Jake, not a dead animal, in the manure pile, and that he was scared 
um, for his wife and family's future. He confessed that he felt like Stephanie, his wife, was involved. He believed that she could have committed the murder of her brother. In another room at the police station, the detectives had Stephanie Jackson cornered. She admitted that she knew her brother's body was in the manure pile at her home, the 7-Eleven Ranch. After the police pushed Stephanie for more details, she requested a lawyer and the conversation stopped. So Mel, you remember our ranch hand, Jeremy McDonald, he was a key to the detective's investigation of Jake's murder. Jeremy was able to give the police a glimpse into the chaotic family affairs. He was like a good, you know, outsider looking at looking at everyone in there in that family. He claimed that Stephanie, not David, not Deborah, was in charge and that she was calling the shots. Stephanie did very little around the ranch as far as actual work, but did direct all the work to be done by David, Jake, and Jeremy until Jake's death. Jeremy shared that after David and Jeremy had discovered Jake's body in the manure, that Stephanie had said to him, you know that you can't ever leave now, right? It seemed like a veiled threat to Jeremy. The two men were definitely afraid of Stephanie. In March of 2018, the investigators were able to arrest David Jackson, Stephanie Jackson, and Deborah Rudabaugh for the first-degree murder, abuse of a corpse, and destruction of evidence of Jake. With a life in prison looming over their heads, all three family members were ready to take a plea deal. David Jackson entered an Alford plea. So I'm going to have Becky explain what an Alford plea is, but it's kind of a little loophole in the legal system. Yeah, an Alford plea is a guilty plea in which a defendant maintains their innocence, but admits that the prosecution's evidence would likely result in a guilty verdict, you know, if brought to trial. So David Jackson was sentenced to 10 years in prison for tampering with a human body. Deborah Rudabaugh pled guilty to the murder of her son and again stated that Stephanie had nothing to do with it. Deborah was sentenced to 40 years in prison. She died in prison on October 30th, 2019. So it sounds to me like she's just trying to protect her daughter. She knew she didn't have much time left because of her cancer and just trying to protect Stephanie. I would agree. Stephanie wrote Deborah's obituary for the newspaper. There are some grammatical mistakes, but we will read it as Stephanie chose to have it published. Obituary for Deborah Sue Rudabaugh, written by her daughter, Stephanie Millicent Jackson. My mother, Deborah Sue Rudabaugh, passed away on October 30th, 2019, after a long battle with cancer. She was born August 13th, 1949, in Ohio. Mom's otherwise decent life was marred in recent years, as everyone knows, by the tragedy that occurred in May of 2015. I am choosing, as I hope all of you will, to remember her as she was before. Mom was a pioneer woman if there ever was one. She was obstinately and unapologetically herself. She was truly the toughest woman I ever met in my life. She was not an open person. She wasn't good at expressing her emotions or feeling which sometimes made her seem distant and cold. She wasn't, but she definitely came off that way. Mom never wanted to be a scene as weak or vulnerable, even when she needed to. For 40 years, she worked and lived in male-dominated fields, first as a wastewater technician and then as a rancher. She married her soulmate, my stepfather, in 1993. I can say that I think she loved him more, him, anyone else on the planet. I know for a fact, because she told me, that mom made him extremely happy and he loved her more than he loved anyone. It gives me comfort to think they are together again. Deborah was preceded in death by her husband, Rudy, 2009, and her son, Jacob Henry, 2015. She is survived by her parents, James and Arlene Troutman her sister Jan, niece Jennifer, her brother Dana, Jen, nephews Kevin, Ezra, and Nehemiah, her daughter Stephanie, David, and grandson Alun, her stepson Shane, Karen, and stepdaughters Tana and Kiska. You are forgiven, Mom. Go and be at peace. It is so sick to me that they included her son's name in that after she had murdered him. Stephanie Jackson pled guilty to tampering with a human body, and Mel, get this, she received 24 years in prison. The judge gave her the maximum sentence uh, for that for that conviction. Can you believe? That's a years, long that's time. A lot. Yeah. 
David and Stephanie's son is being raised by David's family. The 7-Eleven Ranch was inherited by Ray Millison, who is Jake's father. Adam, one of Jake's closest friends and former neighbor, is haunted with thoughts of what Jake's life could have been. He said, quote, A lot of mornings when I wake up, I think about Jake, what his life would have been. I think... I like to think he could have sold the ranch for quite a bit of money and maybe just gone and worked a regular job somewhere, bought a house. Maybe he would have met a girl and whatever, and he doesn't get that opportunity. That's what I would have hoped for him, just that he could have gotten into a life that he wasn't frustrated at every day. Jake was just 29 years old when he was killed. I think the heroes of this story are Jake's friends. They didn't let it go. They knew that something was wrong. They knew how their friend acted and they just kept persisting. I agree. I, I mean, imagine if his friends didn't. I think that we wouldn't be reading the story today and we wouldn't have any answers. And I don't know if anyone would be asking any answers. And I don't think anyone would be looking for those answers because usually family takes care of each other. Yeah, this is such a heartbreaking story. That's so sad. It really is. So, um, shout out to Jake's friends. And I want to, like, call and check out all my friends, make sure everyone's okay. Definitely. Mel, yes. Are you okay? I'm good. How about you? Good, good. So, Jake just seemed like a really wonderful person. He seemed like a good friend. He was definitely a hard worker. And I could just picture him there at the Alamo with his friends shooting pool and drinking a Coke. So, it was a good story. I, I'm glad that they were able to find that justice for Jake. Definitely. And until next time, keep, keep your hands clean. clean. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you for supporting Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. And please go follow us on our social medias. Um, we'd love to hear your comments, and we want you to see all the pictures and the sources that we've posted. Our Instagram and our Facebook, again, are Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. And our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. And don't forget to email us. Yes. Mel, what's that email? Our email is RockyMountainRedHanded at gmail.com. Yeah, send us your case recommendations from your local community. Have a great day.